Rimrock Downtown, so th- welcome. We're so glad you, you came out tonight. And, uh, you know, spring is here, and I know uh, spring break is for the kids this week. Um, but f- at Rimrock, yeah, we got, uh, we got coming up this Friday, Good Friday, and uh, it's going to be the service up the hill. And the worship team from downtown is going to be leading that time. So that's going to be a, a really special time, and it's going to be a, a night of worship, but there's going to be some testimonies, some stories, and we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's going to be a really special evening. And then Easter Sunday, we're going to be all together. So there won't be a Saturday night service next Saturday. So there won't be a service here. So if you show up, it'll be a, a worship of one or maybe a couple of you. <laughs> but uh, hopefully you guys can come out on Sunday. Uh, it's going to be at Stevens High School. And it's going to be a little different than years past. Uh, what was Great Friday last year, we've kind of turned into a little different uh, event, but it's going to be like Great Friday, so there's going to be drama, there's going to be singing, but the goal is to share the message of Jesus. So what I'd like you to ask you to consider is this week taking this card and inviting someone, a neighbor, a friend, family member, coworker, and the goal isn't to get everyone just to a service. The goal is that they meet Jesus. And you can be that person that God uses to introduce Jesus to that person. And so it's not just about getting everyone to a service. It's about making disciples of Jesus. And so we want everyone to hear about him and what he's done on the cross and the resurrection. He's alive. <laughs> he's with us. And we want the whole world to know that. So um, please consider inviting and being there. It's going to be an awesome, awesome day. Well, would you pray with me as we dive into the word? Lord, thank you for this beautiful night. It's beautiful because you're here and you are a beautiful God who chooses to love, who chooses to pursue, who chooses to heal and restore and deliver. And God, you know the brokenness that is in each one of us here tonight. And so, Lord, we just, we we offer ourselves, we offer our hearts and we ask, God, would you speak Would you work in each one of us in the way that only you can tonight? We give you thanks. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so last week, Evan Hayes kicked off uh, a new series that we're doing downtown, uh, looking at the character of God and the propensity of man, or what what do we tend to do as, as people. And we're looking at the story of Israel, starting in Deuteronomy, where Evan kind of kicked us off last week, and going all the way through the the prophets. And so tonight we're going to be in the book of Joshua. But I want to read a statement that we kind of put together that we're going to share with you each week um, as we start, just to kind of tie it all together. Because we're going to be covering, as Evan said, a thousand years of history. That's a long time. A lot of different events. But, But there's a theme, there's a story that God is trying to to, to tell us about, a story about God and his interaction with us as people. God calls men and women to love him and worship him as the supreme good for their own lives. And if you remember, Evan talked about how God's call in our lives is really for our own good. God wants what's good for us. He is the Lord of lords. He's the great God, mighty and awesome in grace and compassion, slow to anger and abounding in love. Aren't you glad God is like that? (laughs) Amen. As human beings, we tend to define what is good for ourselves rather than trusting in God and his plans and instructions for what is truly good. 
This propensity to love and desire other things apart from God causes us to suffer the consequences of our choices. And Evan talked about that last week, how, how we make these choices, these decisions, and then we, we, we suffer the consequences. But these, these decisions lead to sorrow and death. Because of this tendency, we must remember who God is and what he has done for us and receive his love and his grace that calls us back to himself so that we can truly live. And so that's going to be kind of the theme throughout this series as we look at God and then we look at ourselves. So we're going to be in Joshua chapter 6, and if you have your Bible, you can turn there. Before, we, uh, before I read it, it's going to be a pretty long passage, but it's a story. It's a story of the Israelites coming into the promised land. Now, I'll just remind you, the Israelites were, were freed from Egypt and they were slaves, and they had come through the Red Sea, and now they were going into this promised land that God had promised to Abraham long, long before, but it's finally coming to pass, what God had promised. But then 10 spies were sent into the land to scout it out, and if you remember in the story, those 10 came back, and two of them said, you know what? Let's do it. God's on our side. He's with us. We, we got this. We can take this land just like God has said, and he's going to deliver it to us. But if you remember, the others, the other spies all said, no, <laughs> we can't do it. These people are too big, too strong. They got too big of armies, too big of walls. We can't do it. We might as well turn back because we're, we're done for if we try to go for it. And so there's this dilemma the spies who come back and say, no way, and then two who say, we got it because God's on our side. Well, God said, if the people don't listen that, I, that I'm with you and that I'm going to give you this land, I'm going to make you wonder for 40 years. So what did the people do? They decided not to go. They were filled with fear. They didn't have faith. They didn't trust God. And so they turned around, and for 40 years, they wandered around the desert. But what I love about that story is instead of that instead of God just leaving them, he's with them. And what does he do? He provides food, manna, every day. And he provides clothes that don't wear out. Now think about it. Shoes that never wear out. <laughs> I have three boys, and we're always replacing their shoes, right? Because they're running everywhere. But, but for 40 years, their shoes didn't run out, wear out. God took care of him. He provided for him. So isn't that cool? Talk about grace. I mean, here, these people didn't even trust God, and God takes care of him. He provides for him. But then we get to this point in Joshua where that whole generation has died. Only the two who believed, Caleb and Joshua, are alive. Everyone else has died. Even Moses has died. Even he hasn't been allowed to come into the land. And now they're coming to the very first city. And in fact, this city still exists. It's called Jericho. And I've been there, and if you go there today, it's a, it's a big modern city, but if you go to the spot where Jericho and the Bible existed, there's just a pile of rubble. Like, you know, there's like city all around, and then where the city of Jericho was that we're going to read about tonight, it's just rubble, and there's big blocks, and so you can see where the walls were. You can actually walk in there between the walls, and there's a, there's a layer that's just black, Okay, so you can see layer after layer of wall of city that's been built over time. And these were big walls. I mean, this was a big city. And so the walls are huge, thick stones. But if you look at each layer, because they dug a huge trench right through it, the, arche the archaeologists, there's a layer of black that just goes around the whole walls. You can see that today. So we're going to read this story about 
Joshua and the Israelites going to Jericho. Chapter 6 of Joshua. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Make seven priests carry trumpets of rams, horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, make the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up and everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and make seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guards marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you. Shout, then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once, and then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord, and the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord, blowing the trumpets. And the armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord. While the trumpeters kept sounding, so the second day they marched around the city once and returned to camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout. For the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that it is in it is to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things, so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. And all the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. And when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet and at the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out on the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oaths to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, her sisters, all who belonged to her. They brought her out, her entire family, and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent to spy in Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. At that time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath, cursed before the Lord is anyone who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest son, he will set up its gates. And so the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the land.
Wow. Okay, so this is, a, this is quite a story, and you guys, you made it through the whole story. <laughs> That's good. So here's the first thing that strikes me when I read this, and maybe you thought this. Isn't this a little funny, a little silly? <laughs> Why in the world would God have them march around the city six times, and for seven days, right? Or, you know, six days in a row, and then on seventh day. Why would God ask them to do that? It seems silly. You know, Jericho's already afraid. Now, this is a big city. This is a, they, got, they got a lot of power. They got a lot of wealth. They got a lot of um, going for them. But they're afraid of the Israelites already. God's already put fear in their hearts of the Israelites. But, but he asked them to do something that seems strange, that seems different. Because very few armies probably ever did this <laughs> or still do this. Why would you do this? And so you got to ask this question. Why is God asking them to do this. I think God is testing their hearts, and I think God tests our hearts. Here's, a, here's the issue. I think God wants us to learn to trust him. If you think back, the Israelites hadn't trust God, right? For 40 years, they had wandered in the desert because they failed to trust God. And now, God is giving them another opportunity a second chance to trust him. How many times in our lives have we not trusted God and faced the consequences? I, I, I have lots of examples of that. I think we all do, right? And so isn't it amazing that God gives us a second chance? He gives us other opportunities, and God is giving them an opportunity to trust him. I think he's telling them it's not by your power that you're going to overthrow the city, but mine. There's an old hymn that was called Trust and Obey, and I, as I was reading the story, I thought back to that old hymn. Now, we don't sing a lot of old hymns, but, but some of these words are awesome. It says, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what glory he sheds our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. See, the hymn tells us, happiness is found in God. It's found in obeying him and trusting him. Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies, but a smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt or fear, not a sigh or tear can abide when we trust and obey. Not a burden we bear or sorrow we share, but our toil he doth richly repay. Not grief of a loss, nor a frown or a cross, but it blessed if we trust and obey. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. Now that's a, that's a powerful line. For in the favor he shows, the joy he bestows for them who trust and obey. Then in his fellowship suite we will sit at his feet and will walk by his side in the way that he says what we will do. Where, we, where he sins we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. Aren't those beautiful words? And that's what the Israelites were experiencing. They were hearing God's word. He, he was telling them what to do. It seemed silly, but they said, you know what? We're going to trust God. We're going to obey God, even if we look silly. <laughs> even if this looks strange, we don't care. We, we, we care what God thinks, not what man thinks. And you know what happened? They experienced God's power. They experienced his joy. They experienced his reward. Do you think God has changed? <laughs> Do you think God stops rewarding, stops blessing those who trust him, those who obey him? 
So there's two things I want to point out in this story tonight. And they have to do with desire. We all have desires. To be human is to desire. Now, those desires can lead us away from God or towards God. And so we are introduced to two themes in this story around desire. If you look further in chapter 7, we won't read it tonight, there's another story about Achan. Now, if you noticed in the story of Jericho, a very rich city, this was at the center of commerce in the ancient world because Jericho's kind of at a crossroads. So there's, there's a big mountain range where Moses died on top of Mount Nemo. So if you look across that valley, there's a big mountain range and there's this deep valley where the Dead Sea lies and then there's another mountains that lead up to Jerusalem. And this is a rich, fertile valley. And Jericho is right at the center of the road for all the commerce that would go between Egypt and up into Mesopotamia. And so this was a wealthy, wealthy land, a wealthy city. Now look at, there was gold, there was silver, there was treasure. But what did God say? Does that treasure belong to the people or did it belong to God? (laughs) It belonged to God. And he said, reserve it for me. He said, don't take it. But if you read back and on in chapter 7, there's this guy, Achan, decides hey, how can I pass up all this treasure? I think I'm going to hide some. So he took some and hid it. He took it for himself. And we're told that eventually he's found out and, there's, and, he, and he's punished. He's, he's punished for that. But there's that desire for treasure, for gold, for material wealth. And then we're introduced to this other person named Rahab, who was a prostitute. And it's interesting, you know, Rahab is characterized by this sinful lifestyle of, of, of offering herself to, to other people sexually. And so we're introduced to Rahab, but Rahab is special because she decided to take a huge risk. She decided that she was going to trust the God of the spies of Israel rather than the gods of the people that she was part of. So she made a bold, risky decision to trust God instead of the gods around her. And God rewards her for that. And so we're introduced to two desires here. We're introduced to Rahab around sexual desire. We're we're introduced to Achan and his desire for wealth. And then we see God's desire to bless his people, to provide for his people, to care for his people. And so Think with me tonight. What are, the, what are the desires in our hearts? Think about what are those desires in your hearts tonight? We all have them, don't we? And we're filled with a world who speaks to those desires. You just have to flip on the TV and what does it say? <laughs> it's, it's calling out those desires, right? Walk down the street and there's desires calling our name. You know, we're surrounded by pleasures, delights, good things, right? And they're all around us. What do we do with those desires? Well, the world says, take and enjoy, right? Take and enjoy. All around us says, take whatever you desire, take it. Whatever you see, try it. That's what the world says. That's what the culture says. How easy it would have been for the Israelites to take (laughs) that wealth, right? It was right in front of them. And the world says, take it. And most invading armies take it. But God says, you're not going to be like that. You're not going to be like that. So the world says, take and enjoy. What does God say? He says, guard and preserve for a sacred use. A sacred use. God has holy purposes for those things. Good things. 
This world is good things. Food, um, material possessions, our sexual desires, all those things are good. The Bible doesn't call those things evil, but they're good, but they're for a special use. A special use. Not for any use. For something special, God says. The world says, find your identity in those desires. Right? The world says, you know, embrace materialism. Embrace your sexuality. Embrace all these things, right? Embrace the food <laughs> that whatever you desire, whatever you want. And the world says, find your identity in those. What does God say? God says, no, find your identity in him, in him alone. Okay? This is, this, this is tough stuff. The world looks at this and says, this is strange. Why wouldn't you take and enjoy it? Why wouldn't you find your identity in these things? Everyone else is, right? Everyone else is running after their desires and finding their identity in those things. But God says, no, find your identity in me. The world says, you will only be happy if, right? If, if only you had that car or that house or that job or that, or that person in your life. But no, God says, he says, to us in Psalm 16, you make known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. So what does God say? God says satisfaction in our lives is only found in him, nowhere else. Only God can satisfy our souls. Only God can fill our lives with meaning and purpose and pleasure. Okay, I don't know about you, but if you go out there and you say these things, people will look at you strangely. And if you live this way, people will think you're silly. <laughs> Almost like walking around a city, right? Shouting. <laughs> this is weird. This is strange. But God says, this is the way of life. If you, if you find me, if you take pleasure in me, if you desire me above everything else, you will live we were made to be in relationship with God. We were made to find our identity in Him. We were made in His image. We were made to be with God, to live with God, to live in His presence. And so, who will we listen to? Will we listen to the world, or will we listen to God? That is, that is the most important question in our lifetime. Who will we listen to? We are told in this story that God has the power to accomplish what he says he will do. So if God says, I can satisfy you, I can give you an identity, I can give you pleasure, then faith is believing that and believing that God has power to do it. God said to the Israelites, I will give you Jericho. I will defeat the city for you. And God had power to do it. He did it. And if you go to Jericho today, you will see that black line where the city was burned, black, charred. And another thing that the archaeologists say is really unique about Jericho and that, and that rubble is all the walls fell outward. If you go to any other ruin in Israel, all the walls fall inward because the armies batter them and, and, and break them in. But here, God broke the walls, <laughs> not the army. God broke the walls. He has power to do it. So who will we listen to? Will we believe that God has power to do what he says he will do in our lives? When Jesus says, if you forgive your enemy, that we will be okay, that we can trust him with that, that we can forgive and let vengeance belong to the Lord. If we do that, we will live. 
we will be satisfied. Our hearts will be right and full. But the world says, no, make that person pay. <laughs> you know, attack them. But God says, no, trust me. Forgive as I have forgiven you. So here's the key. The treasure is in the Lord. All that gold, all that silver went to the Lord because the Israelites needed to know where the treasure was. The treasure isn't in the gold and the silver. <laughs> the treasure wasn't in taking the city. The treasure is in God. The treasure in our lives can't be the material things. It can't be the, the sexual desires, the food desires. Those things are good, but if we put all our treasure in those things, we will come up empty and dry. No, the treasure is in the Lord. The treasure is in the Lord. We're going to take communion tonight, and I want, I want to just pull our attention to Rahab, because Rahab wasn't a perfect person, and I don't know about you, but it, it'd feel horrible if your name was associated with a sin that, that you struggled with or I struggled with, <laughs> you know? She's known as Rahab the prostitute, and, and that would be really hard to be known as Ben the whatever, you know, the liar or the, the stealer or whatever, you know, sin that I struggled with. That would be horrible to be known as that. But do you see God's grace here? Because God not only saves Rahab, but if you go in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews, it says Rahab is in the great company of the greatest people of faith in the history of the world. <laughs> and so God doesn't see Rahab by her sin. God sees Rahab as a mighty woman of God of faith. She is in the great company of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Rahab was a broken, sinful person that chose God and chose to treasure him, put her faith in him, and God changed her life and restored her and gave her a new identity, a new heart, and a new life. Isn't that powerful? <laughs> Isn't that awesome? And that's what Jesus does for us. We're not, we're not known because of our sin. We're known because of the righteousness of Jesus. He takes our broken hearts, our broken lives, our broken desires, and he redeems us. And you know what happens when we trust him? He begins to change our desires. And so instead of chasing after all those empty, worthless things, we begin to chase after God. And we begin to love God. And we begin to, to know God. And our hearts are changed and they're made beautiful and they're made full and they're made alive god's doing that he's doing that right here right now in our hearts isn't that awesome and that's why we go to communion because we need to remember where our treasure is and we need to remember who god is that god is a redeemer that he is a savior he's a forgiver he's a restorer he's a healer jesus before he went to the cross where he paid all the sin, all the wickedness of all of human history, all the way back from the very beginning to the very end of the world, every single human being, he paid their sins, our sins, all of it. And right before he went to the cross to do that incredible work, he went and he had a supper with his disciples. And it says, he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. 
And so tonight we're going to actually take some bread and we're going to dip it in some grape juice. Now, there's nothing magical about the bread or the grape juice, but what it does is it, it reminds us of who Jesus is, that he is the bread of life. That when we eat of Jesus, we experience eternal life. When we drink of him and we see that red juice, it reminds us of his blood that cleanses us, that makes us new. And what I love about this is Jesus says, we do this because we remember what he's done in our own hearts, but we also look forward because he says, I will eat it again in the kingdom of God. And so we're going to eat again with Jesus someday. We're going to have a meal with him where we're going to sit down and, and the world's going to be right. No more sickness, no more death, no more pain. All the brokenness will be gone. God has power to do it. Just like he broke the walls of Jericho, he has power to do it and he will restore this world. He will make it right again. And that's why we take this food and we eat it together. I'm going to invite the musicians to take it first and then, and then you guys can come on up when you're ready.